Thanks for joining us at Colts to Consciousness. This storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice. We may discuss triggering topics and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. Lastly, I stepped off the boat and I had this overwhelming emotional response. I got teary-eyed when I looked around and I thought, wow, this is where I'm going to heal. Oh my gosh, I'm getting emotional. Um, this is where I'm going to heal. Hey everyone, my name is Shalise Ansola and this is Cults to Consciousness, where we discuss leaving high-demand religions or organizations and finding healing and independence through awareness and true individual sovereignty. If you're listening only on any of the podcast apps and you, you would prefer to watch, head on over to my YouTube channel at Cults to Consciousness and you can see the whole thing there. Uh, it would mean a lot to me if you could like, subscribe, hit the bell so you don't miss any episodes and leave a comment about your thoughts. Um, would really appreciate it. So today is a different type of day. We're doing an episode all with me, no guests today. And there's a few reasons for this. Um, I really wanted to give more insight into my story so you have a better idea of where I'm coming from when I bring on more guests and you can get a background of my life. But also, I want to introduce psychedelics into the channel. So I've brought them up a couple times with a few of our guests, and I also went into a little bit in my very first introduction episode. But today, I want to go all the way in on psychedelics, because I know a lot of people are very interested in them, and I can see why. <laughs> so they're a really big part of my story, and a really big part of how I found healing after uncovering memories of abuse. So this uh, is going to be a trigger warning for anyone who um, may not be comfortable listening to sexual abuse. Uh, we won't go into detail, but it will be mentioned. And um, yeah, this is going to be a fun one, guys. So, <laughs> so where do we even start? Um, if you followed along in the past, you know that I basically maintained a straight edge mentality ever since I left Mormonism. And that was 12 years ago now. So it's been a while and I still have not indulged myself in alcohol. I don't drink coffee, although there's no other reason besides I think it's disgusting. And um, before I had tried any type of psychedelics, I hadn't smoked tobacco. I hadn't smoked weed. I had not tried any mind-altering substance other than, like, your typical painkillers after a surgery. So, how did I end up in Peru, in the Amazon jungle, doing seven ayahuasca ceremonies, a San Pedro ceremony, a sapo slash bufo, depending on what you want to call it, ceremony, a combo ceremony, and, geez, what else, rape and nunu in two weeks? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> All right. So to give you some idea of how I went from one extreme to the other, I think I need to give you a little bit more context, a little bit more backstory. So I had been in LA for about eight years at the time and was still just like riding the wave of being ex-Mormon. I think I felt like I was fine. I was just doing my thing. And... What had happened was I uncovered memories of child sexual abuse from my past. And we're talking from ages, infancy to eight years old. And these memories were corroborated by a few people who remembered some of the stories. And a couple of them were corroborated by my actual abuser. So I was in a really dark place. Um, I was confused. I didn't know how to feel. Um, this person who had abused me was my dad, and I didn't know how to feel about the whole situation because on one hand, I remember having a happy childhood, and on the other hand, I was having horrible nightmares, um, unexplained triggers, really adverse feelings towards him that I couldn't quite understand. And then when all of this information came to light, suddenly it clicked everything made sense. And I just wanted to pretend like it didn't happen. I was not ready to face it. I pushed it away, pushed it away for about a year. Um, 
I knew in the back of my mind that I needed to get help. I needed therapy. I needed something, but I just wasn't ready for that. So I just really focused on acting. I was booking a lot of commercials. I was finally getting traction as an actor, um, doing commercials for Barbie and Qdoba and Tapatio and a whole bunch of things. So I was feeling successful. I was feeling powerful, but there was still this weight that was just hanging over my head and holding me back. Um, I was in a relationship at the time that I was feeling unfulfilled in. It was long distance. I wasn't feeling emotionally supported, but of course that's not entirely his fault. So we ended up breaking it off. So now I'm single and depressed and dealing with this trauma. And (laughs) I ended up getting involved with a very narcissistic guy who used my bad condition to his advantage. He saw someone who was vulnerable and he decided to take advantage of me. And little did I know he was doing the same to multiple other women simultaneously. That was another part of my rock bottom, finding out that information, being completely betrayed by a father figure, my actual father figure, and then being portrayed again by this other person who I thought was coming in to help me. So at that point, I was living alone and rent was getting really expensive. And I landed in this house with someone who maybe I think I'm going to go into the story in the book that I'm writing more on that later. But I had actually previously lived with this person in my very first place in Los Angeles. I was a live-in dog walker. It's crazy. A lot of stuff went down. It ended badly. He kicked me out and um, basically just said, I I want my wife back and she won't move back in if you live here. And it was just a really bad situation. So anyway, I don't know what stars aligned to make this happen, but as I was looking for a new place eight years later, I submitted um, an inquiry to like a Facebook marketplace ad and guess whose house it was? The same person. And he calls me up and he said, you know what? I've been thinking about how things ended so badly last time. It's been on my mind all these years and I felt horrible about it. I want to make it up to you. If you want to move in, the room is yours and I'll give you a month free. So here I am thinking, oh, finally catching a break. I'm finally catching a break and a month free in Los Angeles is a pretty big discount. So against my better judgment, I took the deal and I moved in knowing who this person was, but really hoping that he had changed. He claimed that he had changed, but when I got there, it turned out that he didn't. He was extremely controlling. He told me I couldn't have anyone over unless it was a woman. If I wanted to have a guy over, then I would have to ask him permission. And the only reason he would let me have a guy over is if we were having a threesome. Yes, you heard that correctly. He didn't like that I was going out and teaching salsa at the club. So I was uh, helping instruct at a nightclub at the time and I would get home late and he didn't like that. He was trying to control when I came and went which was not okay. And long story short, things ended badly. Hmm, crazy. Surprise, surprise. And he gave me 12 hours to move out. So at this point, I already didn't have a lot of money. I then didn't have a place to stay. I moved all of my stuff into a storage unit. I was homeless for two weeks. I was living out of my car and on the the generous offers of a few of my friends to sleep on their couches. And I finally found an apartment. It was like a part-time thing where I thought, okay, I can at least stay here for a few months as a sublease. And luckily, we were able to renew our lease. So I finally felt grounded. I had landed. I had started detoxing from the other guy that was basically shattered my life because I did have very, very, very strong feelings towards him and dealing with the trauma of my my past, my childhood. So I finally said, okay, universe, higher power, God, whoever's out there, I'm ready. I'm ready to get some help. I clearly need it. I'm not in the right headspace. I'm attracting all these weird people, these weird scenarios. 
and I'm just ready to be done with it. And that is when I met Kimber, who you may have watched in a previous episode. She does energy work, and she introduced me to inner child healing, which was incredibly powerful. Uh, She introduced me to different chakra systems and meditations that I could use to help calm me down, to help release some pain. And it was so therapeutic. It was exactly what I needed. And throughout her classes, she would mention ceremony or journeys. And me being the sweet little innocent Mormon girl or ex-Mormon girl, since I still wasn't very exposed to different um, plant medicines, she would call them journeys. And I'm like, what What are, what are these people talking about? Like, where are people going? <laughs> and so finally I started listening. I started paying attention. And I began to have this awareness that I was still very against drugs. Anything that could alter your consciousness in any way, I was like, hard no, because of that Mormon programming of all drugs are bad and you're going to end up dying if you try them even once, or you're going to become addicted and your life is going to fall apart. My life was already falling apart the most that it could. So I was like, I don't know if this is a good idea, but I kept hearing these journeys in the sense of healing, transformation, therapy, not in the sense that I had been exposed to in the past, which was bad, evil, addictive, you're going to die, all of the negative ways that high demand groups and religions paint entheogens or psychedelics. So I started paying attention because I'm thinking, wait, they're talking about years of therapy in one night? That sounds great. I think I want to do that. (laughs) And so I went home and I mentioned this in my first episode. I'm just going to briefly go over it again in case you haven't seen it. Um, I went home and ended up randomly seeing this this series on Gaia called Psychedelica that talks about different plant medicines and how they can help with depression and PTSD and trauma. And all of a sudden I'm listening because now I get it and now I need the help. So I'm no longer looking at it from a perspective of, well, I don't want to get high, so I'm going to get a, I'm going to stay away from it. I'm looking at it from the perspective of, I need help. I need help fast. I need deep help. I'm ready to get to the bottom of this. And so I became open to the idea of psychedelics. (laughs) Another crazy coincidence about this is that because I'm an actor, I submit to things daily, probably 30 projects a day. And I had remembered a project as I was watching this series on ayahuasca. I remembered a project that was looking for two people to go to Peru and do this um, retreat. And it had nothing to do with medicine. It just said, we want someone to do yoga and breathwork sessions. And we need to film people for the center that we're promoting. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. So I'm remembering this submission as I'm watching this ayahuasca film uh, or TV show. And I looked it up and it had expired. So it means they already held auditions. I didn't get one. And I was super bummed about it. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to dig a little deeper and see if I can figure out what this casting was for. And the name of it said Arcana. And I thought, well, let's just see what Arcana is. So I typed in Arcana Peru. And guess what popped up? An ayahuasca retreat center named Arcana. It blew my mind. The synchronicity was insane. And it was, I, I couldn't ignore it. So I'm looking through all of their their packages and their retreats and they had one week retreats, two week retreats and they were pricey. I mean, I couldn't afford it, but I'm looking at that and I I say out loud, "Okay, I'm going to go to Peru. I'm going to do this ceremony. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I hear you universe, <laughs> God, whoever, whoever's listening. I'm seeing the sign and I know that this is what I'm being called to do." So, in that moment, I thought, well, wait a second. I already know the center. I know the name of it. Maybe I could just email them directly. And so I just get on my computer. I write this page long email about why I'm perfect to be the person for their documentary or their docu style marketing materials. And it was something that you don't do in the industry, but I didn't care. I was like, what do I have to lose at this point? So the next day, I'm at the gym and I get a call 
and this person says, hi, um, I'm the casting director for the Peru retreat thing. And I was like, uh-huh. And he goes, yeah, the owner sent me your email. Uh, it's a little forward of you to do that. But after reading the email, I understood why you did it. I had actually opened my computer to send an email to book someone for the job. But when I saw the email from the owner, I realized I should at the very least meet with you and have a chat. I about, I was losing my mind, guys. I was, it, it took everything for me not to just scream in the gym. I was so excited. So the next day we meet for coffee. Everything goes great. I tell him my story and why I want to go and how I, if it was possible, I would love to actually participate in the medicine ceremonies. And he was thrilled because he goes, yeah, we were actually looking for someone to do that, but we couldn't put that on the submission because, you know, it's illegal in the States, but we're going to be going overseas where it is legal and, you know, all of that. So I felt really good about it. And I just did everything I could to manifest and envision myself on the plane flying down into the rainforest. And <laughs> four days later, I was on that plane flying into the rainforest to go on a three-week retreat for ayahuasca, for the center. Now, to get there, you have to take two planes. One of them was overnight. It takes about, I want to say, an hour to get to the hotel where we were staying. Uh, I think it was, oh, what was the name of the town? I can't remember the name of the town. But it took us an hour to get there, and then it took two hours by bus on a dirt road to get to the Amazon River. And then it took two hours in a canoe to get to the retreat center, which was stunningly beautiful. They were playing drums and guitar on the way there. We saw pink dolphins. Yes, pink dolphins. They're a thing. They exist. And it was so magical. The boat pulls up to the center, which looks like a treehouse on sticks, because in the, the wet season, the river is literally underneath it. And then the dry season, it retreats so much that you can walk on the ground. But we're in the wet season, so this river is streaming under this um, these cabana-looking buildings with bridges connecting them all. And these local dancers were there dancing and chanting and welcoming us as we pulled up. And I stepped off the boat, and I had this overwhelming emotional response. I literally <laughs> I got tear. I'm actually, like, getting choked up right now. I got teary-eyed when I looked around and I thought, wow, this is where I'm going to heal. My gosh, I'm getting emotional. Um, this is where I'm going to heal. This is home. It felt like home. And wow. So I'm nervous, obviously. And people find out that I'm from Utah and, oh, the Mormon. I'm like, I'm not Mormon anymore. <laughs> I'm so sick of that label. I just wanted to be done with it. Um, but the label stuck because they didn't think that I was considered ex-Mormon because I still hadn't tried anything like alcohol or drugs and whatever. I was just doing my best to focus on me and, <laughs> and stick to the matter at hand. The first ceremony that we did was called a new, new ceremony. And this is something where they take different types of plants that have different properties, um, specific to the effects that you want to achieve. Uh, one of them being tobacco. I think sage is another one. Uh, I'm going to butcher it, so I'm not even going to pretend to remember the rest. But they grind them up, and then they blow them right up your nose. <laughs> and I'm sitting here going, wait, what are we doing? This is a little extreme. I didn't know this was going to be part of the whole trip. Um, I knew about the ayahuasca, but not about the snorting thing. And it's, uh, there's a few different applicators, I guess you could call them, uh, administrators. Maybe that's a better word. It looks like a straw. It's a wooden straw and they pack in the plants and the tobacco. And then the shaman literally just blows it up your nose. It's a wild experience. So, this was my first time experiencing anything that would be mind-altering. So we go into the Maloka. It's 
they call it a maloka. It's a beautiful hut-like structure with the palm leaves, huge vaulted ceilings. It's very sacred space. Uh, you can't wear your shoes in there. You treat it with respect. Um, it's circular, so the mats line the outside of the maloka, like petals to a flower. And then on the inside are the shamans. And I mean, it's it's so huge. There's probably at least 10 feet between me on the outside and the center of the maloka where the shamans are. Um, so they're getting ready to <laughs> administer this. And by now it's nighttime. So we're only lit by candles. There's no lights in there. And they give you um, tissues. They're like, don't blow your nose if possible because you want to feel the full effects. And I almost didn't do it because I was scared. And I remember thinking, no, you came here to heal. You came here to do the medicine. And everything that they said about Nunu was that it was a heart opener. It basically got you ready for the ayahuasca. It paired well with ayahuasca and they highly recommended starting off the retreat with it. So there's about five shamans in the center uh, in a line and they're all getting their own medicine ready so that we can line up behind each of them so it goes quicker. Well, we all get off our mats and I kind of like procrastinate getting in line. I finally get in line, one of the very last ones, and this guy is in front of me, his name is Gabe, and I don't think he would mind me talking about his experience because he's actually coming on the podcast. Yay! I cannot wait to have him on to talk about his experience. So he's this super awesome uh, military veteran, bald, shaved head, tatted up, head to toe, super sweet guy. And he came there and he was a little rough around the edges. He um, was very skeptical about this whole healing thing, but he did it and he was like, okay, well, I'm here. I'm just going to give it a shot. So he's in front of me. And the first one goes up his nose and he starts hacking and coughing and sweating and wheezing. And I'm looking over at him like, if this guy can't handle it, how am I supposed to handle it? <laughs> and I got so nervous. And by then most of the people had gone and they're, you know, patting him down, getting him water. And I'm just looking up like, this is in my future. Okay, you can do this. It's all right. You can do this. At that point, the main shaman, who was the line over, had an empty line, and I thought, all right, I'm just, I'm going to go to this guy instead. So I jump over into his line, and he looks at me, and he doesn't speak much English, and he goes, ready? And I go, okay, and he goes, first time, and I go, yeah, and he goes, oh, okay, half dose. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that would be great, sure, let's do half. So he puts that thing up in my nose, he tells me to hold my breath, and in it goes. Feels like it goes straight up to my brain. The type of sensation you get when you jump into a pool and forget to plug your nose, it is not pleasant. So immediately, my eyes just start watering like crazy. He's chuckling and trying not to because <laughs> he feels bad for me, but there's still another nostril to go. So anyway, we get up in there. And I take that one like a champ because I already knew what to expect. Hobble back to my mat. I got like black snot coming down my face, trying not to blow my nose yet. I sit down and look up at the ceiling and it is spinning. And I'm looking around going, is anyone else feeling this? I, I feel like I'm floating. I feel like my head is about to detach from my body. And I remember thinking, wait, is this what alcohol feels like? And so just to kind of check my hypothesis, I look over at my mat mate next to me, who I had just met the day before. And to paint you the picture of him, he's like very hipster vibes, um, white guy, long, dirty blonde hair, handlebar mustache, He's clearly a pro at this. I mean, he actually told us that he's a veteran in all things psychedelic. So I look over at him and stare until he looks back. And then I whisper really quietly because we're not supposed to be talking. I was like, hey, is this what it feels like to be drunk? And he looked at me first like, why are you talking to me? Then his expression changed to, I cannot believe she just asked me that. 
And then he laughs and proceeds to school me with a, <laughs> no, I was so embarrassed. <laughs> but what do you do? I was like, okay, great. Just wanted want to check. So I continue to have this floating spinning room feeling and I'm looking over at people and they're going up to get seconds. And I'm thinking, how? This is like clearly enough for me. I do not need a round two. So the next day, we all come back to our mats to have a discussion about the ayahuasca ceremony that night. And here comes Handlebar Mustache, walks in with his buddy, and he's like, oh, there's Shalise, ha ha ha. I'm like, great, here it comes. Yeah, so Mormon over here, I was like, not Mormon anymore. Mormon over here leans over to me last night and goes, hey, is this what it feels like to be drunk? They all laugh, every other attendee there heard it and started laughing and I was like great I love being the butt of jokes as the ex-Mormon. At that point I was pretty much used to it but it was still annoying. So we ended up having our ayahuasca ceremony that next night after combo which is a tree frog medicine where they actually burn you, they burn your skin with a round stick and then administer the medicine on the burn and it goes directly into your bloodstream and it purges all sorts of toxins and I when I say purge like you throw up like there's no tomorrow and that's definitely a story that I will go into a different time because I want to focus on the ayahuasca so my first ceremony actually nothing really happened and I was geared up for it right I was ready I was ready to feel what everyone talks about is this incredible experience with ayahuasca and visual of this and that. And I just remember sitting there as the shamans were chanting, thinking, yeah, this would probably be cool if I was high right now. First time that thought had ever crossed my mind. But I think I was blocking myself from having an experience because I was so nervous and I was so anticipatory and I was expecting so much to happen that nothing really did. And also I know they started me with a little bit lower of a dose because of how I reacted to the Nunu. So that was also probably part of it. But the next night, so this is night two, ayahuasca ceremony, I take the medicine, which if, if you're not familiar, let me just give like a brief intro to what ayahuasca is. It comes from the Amazon rainforest. It is composed of a specific leaf and a specific vine and through it's like an eight-hour process of banging the vine and brewing and distilling and brewing and distilling it creates this magenta colored or dark purple tea and it you take basically like a shot glass amount of it um, it is yeah it's really intense so this tea it's basically DMT and because of the two ingredients, one of them has the DMT and the other one is some sort of stabilizer. And please, I know you'll correct me if I'm wrong in the, the comments here because I'm not an expert. This is just what I can remember. Um, it makes it so that you don't digest the DMT quickly and it has lingering effects. And when I say lingering, usually ceremonies last between five and eight hours, depending on the strength of the tea and how much you take. So you, you fast for about four to five hours before you do the ceremony. So you have an empty stomach because you've probably heard, if you've heard of ayahuasca, that it is a purgative medicine. A lot of people purge, what they call it. And uh, so throwing up, uh, going to the bathroom. <laughs> um, other forms of purging that I learned while I was there are shaking. You shake out all of this energy. Um, sweating, crying, even sleeping and yawning are all forms of purging this energy that's moving through you. And one thing that is a through line throughout all of this is the guiding spirit mother or grandmother ayahuasca. And it's something that most people encounter and they feel like it is the spirit of the plant that is guiding you to have these experiences. And now it sounds a little kooky, but when you're in it, you understand. <laughs> so this time I was really ready to relax. I had my mala beads and I was going around each bead and instead of thinking about like, is it happening yet? Is it happening yet? I started chanting 
I am love, I am love, I am love, and you go through all of the beads, and when you get to the end, you can pick a new mantra or do it all over again. So it's a meditative practice that helps you become present and helps get you out of your head, which I desperately needed. So as I'm going around, I got this intuitive hit that I should start saying I am safe. And it makes sense now when I realize I was terrified to to be there because again, I don't even know what alcohol felt like. And this is one of the most intense psychedelics you can do. It is a very extreme medicine and it's not something you do for funsies. It is taken very seriously. You prep weeks ahead of time with a specific diet, with your intentions. It's a big deal. So I start chanting, I am safe, I am safe, I am safe, I am safe. And I really just leaned into that. And I didn't get more than halfway around when I got another intuitive hit. Do your chakra clearing meditation. And I thought, okay, uh, I'll do it as soon as I'm done with the beads. And the voice in my head said, no, right now. That's when I realized I was not, <laughs> was not alone anymore in my thoughts. There was something there and I thought, okay, Mother Ayahuasca, if this is you, I'm going to pay attention. So it, it was this meditation that I've done quite a few times over and over. You imagine the different chakras of your body. You imagine the different colors as you move through them. And you imagine them getting brighter and glowing and getting rid of anything that is kind of stuck in those chakra points. So for example, your root chakra, which is associated with the color red, has to do with your personal safety. And if your personal safety needs are not met, if you don't have food, water, shelter, then you won't be able to move on to the next chakra and so on and so forth. So it's a really great way to become aligned, to become grounded, and to just become aware of your body, even if you're not into the whole chakra system, crystal, woo-woo stuff, which is totally fine. It's just a great way to become aware of your body. And are you feeling aches and pains in this area? Sending your attention there. So I'm going through these and when I get to my third eye, which is right in the middle of your forehead and it's the color purple, I saw this, I'm closing my eyes, I saw this bright purple exotic looking eye just blink open at me. This was the first time that had ever happened. I'm a very visual person and I have vivid dreams. However, I had never experienced this in a meditation before. And it blinked open at me and I realized the symbolism was, you're awake now. So for people who aren't familiar, your third eye is basically the, the seat of your intuition. It's the introspection. It's your higher self. It's your inner knowing. And it felt like in that moment, I was finally being awakened to my actual sovereignty, my individuality, um, my independence. And <laughs> so beautiful. And another thing I noticed was the vines that I normally imagine coming out the bottoms of my feet and anchoring down into the earth became snakes, which is a very classic symbol of Mother Ayahuasca. And so I thought, okay, this is different. I'm going to keep going along with this. So I have these incredible visuals. I finish all the chakras and I see this beam of light coming out the top of my head and I feel myself connecting to my ancestors, to other dimensions. And I think in this moment I realized, okay, it's working. <laughs> it's working. And I saw myself as a shaman in Peru. I saw myself administering ayahuasca to other people. I don't know if it was a past life. I don't know if it was just something my imagination was conjuring up because of where I was. Either way, I felt very connected to the jungle. I felt connected to the medicine. And I heard this voice say, welcome home. Oh, man. That same welcome home that I felt when I first arrived. I'm getting a little choked up here. Did not expect this today. After that, I started seeing incredible kaleidoscopic colors, um, and I won't go into too much detail because, my goodness, this whole vision and ceremony lasted like five hours, and we got limited time here, so I'll give you the cliff notes. 
One of the most amazing parts when I finally opened my eyes was I looked around and it looked like I was on Pandora from Avatar where it was pitch black except for brightly lit glowing things. So anytime someone would move, it was like I was seeing this residual energy as they would walk by. I could see the energy trailing behind them. Uh, they were very static as they moved. Nothing was fluid. I felt like I was seeing energy around me. Um, at one point, I saw a shaman light uh, like a tobacco cigarette that they had made. And when the flame kicked on, their face was a cobra. <laughs> so that was a little wild. And I remember looking down at my hands and my fingers were three times the length. They were a different color. They were like a silvery color. And I'm going, whoa, am I an alien? What's going on? This is insane. Um, my map mates, one of them looks like a mountain. The other one looks like an eagle. And things were coming into focus. I mean, or co going out of focus. I don't know, however you want to describe it. It's, it's incredibly difficult to explain a plant medicine journey because of how intense and visual it is. It's very experiential, so it's <laughs> it's hard to put words to it. But the most beautiful parts that came up for me, the whole reason that I wanted to go, was first I was enveloped in this beautiful white light, and I experienced this unconditional love that I had never experienced before. And I just started crying and crying. These tears were just streaming down my face like I had never cried before. And I, di I didn't know if it was a happy cry, if it was a sad cry. It was just pure emotion. And I just let it all out. And I felt so held and loved and comforted. And this voice said, you are not your body. You are not your imperfections. You are not your trauma. You are so much bigger than that. You are beautiful. You are a warrior. I just need to surrender. I need to let go. I need to stop putting so much weight on things, stop putting so much pressure on myself to look perfect as an actor, um, and realize that this vessel that I'm in is simply a vessel to help me experience this life in the way that I'm meant to experience it. And one of the next things that happened was I was shown a vision, almost like an ultrasound, of my womb. And there was this bright green healing light. And it was so beautiful. And knowing the chakra systems and, and energy work and colors, I knew that green meant healing. And <laughs> getting emotional again. As I saw my womb there, this beautiful, perfect baby formed inside of it. And I realized she was trying to tell me that I am not broken because of my trauma. And I am capable of having a baby one day. And I don't know how else to say it. I'm not broken. And that was so powerful to me. That was so impactful. More tears. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> I didn't think I had any more in me. I just kept crying and crying. I, I was so grateful at the hope that this symbolism was showing me. And then it switched pretty quickly, and I was dropped into the consciousness of my father, the one who abused me. And I was really sad. I was depressed. I... I was feeling how he felt because I had cut him out of my life. I had tried, at that point it had been, I think just over a year that everything had happened and I, I tried to keep him in my life but it was too painful and I had to set boundaries and it was hard for me too. But being in his perspective, I deeply felt the pain that he felt by being cut off from me. Now, that's not to say that I shouldn't have set boundaries, and that's not to say that what he did was okay, but it just gave me a new perspective 
it allowed me to feel sympathy for him and what he was going through and realizing that I wasn't the only one in pain. And that was also a really beautiful thing to experience. And that ceremony was really life-changing and pivotal for me. I came out of it just so much to write down, so much to say, so much to share in our integration. And a lot of the people who were there, the facilitators, said that that's what it's all about. The medicine is like seven years of therapy in one night. And I said, yep, that's why I'm here. That's why I came to do the work. And let me tell you, it is work. It is not easy. You can't have bright, happy, fun ceremonies, which is what I wanted to get into next. But for the most part, it's work. It's hard. It's it's very confronting. You have to, you don't have to, but if you really want the full benefits, you need to open up your mind and your heart to the possibility of revisiting trauma, which there were a few moments where I did revisit trauma, but I saw it from a perspective that didn't hurt me. I saw it from a perspective of information that the medicine wanted me to know, and then it moved me on very quickly. And it was difficult, but it was beautiful, and it was liberating, and guys, I didn't even throw up. <laughs> I was, like, stuck to my mat. I could barely move when they came over to get me for my Ikaros, which is a beautiful song that you go up to the shaman, you sit in front of them, and they sing a very specific healing song for you, for your energy field, and that, anciently speaking, is where most of the healing takes place. That's how it was done before Westerners wanted to go try it out for themselves. The healing is done through the shamans. So they came over and they're like, you ready for Ikaros? And I was like, I can't even move. You're going to have to help me get over there. Um, I made it over and it was fine. But I slept so deep that night. I didn't even go to bed. I stayed in the Maloka and stayed overnight there. And it was pretty incredible. Um, it was life-changing. So... This is another reason why I really wanted to talk about psychedelics, because based on my own experience, it can be pivotal. It can really just take away your ego, which is your logical, rational mind that gets in the way of your healing, that is there to keep you safe, of course, but when you expose yourself to these different entheogens, these different psychedelics and these chemicals in your brain, it allows you to go to deeper places than you can just when you're just regular conscious. It allows you to open pockets of your mind that you didn't realize were there. Is that scary? Yes. But is it worth it? Yes. Now, all of this to say, I'm not an expert and I do not want to give medical advice to anyone. This is my own experience and this is based on the information that I've read and researched myself. So if you are interested in doing these medicines, please consult your own doctor, psychologist, therapist first to make sure that it's something that you can do. So for my next ceremony, I want to get into more of the fun side of things and show you my second most influential journey that I had on that retreat because, as I mentioned, there were seven ceremonies <laughs> in a two-week period. Um, so this was ceremony number five. We were at a different location. We had moved from the Amazon jungle to Sacred Valley, which was a much different energy. They like to explain the jungle as being a very um, dense, raw, gritty, masculine energy and hard and, you know, it's, a, it's true. That's exactly how it was. It's basically a tough love type of environment that you feel when you're in the jungle. And then in the Sacred Valley, it's very feminine and fluid and beautiful and transformational in that way. So we're at the Sacred Valley. Uh, the Maloka is very different instead of a big hut. It was just like a regular building. Um, it was a rectangular space. So we were on one side of the room and the shamans were on the other side of the room facing us. Now we only had about two feet between us. And... This ceremony, I, man, I felt like I had gotten everything I came for in the jungle, so I'm like, what do I even ask for now? So I wrote some things down, like, what do I 
how can I use my specific talents to help other people? Um, I asked about my love life, you know, <laughs> I had been through a lot and I'm like, am I ever going to find love? I asked about space. That was like my last hurrah. I'm like, all right, well, at the very least, maybe I can go to space. And I remember in my intention setting ceremony with the shamans, you do way ahead of time individually. I went in there, I was like, can I go to space? And they all just busted up laughing. And I was like, what, is that a dumb question? And they go, yeah, you can go to space. I was like, oh, cool. I didn't know that was a possibility. <laughs> so that was on my list. I want to go to space. So we get in there and I take the tea. I was a pro at this point, taking my little shot glass of tea that doesn't taste the greatest. I go back over to my mat. And one thing that's very common with ayahuasca is you're very light sensitive. So they usually don't have any lights. And if they do, it's candlelight. So I go back to my mat and already I'm feeling like, oh, these candles right in front of me are too much. So I cover my eyes to make it really, really dark. And almost immediately, I mean, I'm talking not even five minutes later, normally it takes about 45 minutes to kick in. Five minutes later, I'm sitting there on my mat, eyes closed, and Mother Ayahuasca appears in front of me, and she puts her arm out, and I'm like, all right, we're going somewhere. Where are we going? And of course, by now, I'm just like, yeah, going with, going with the flow. <laughs> Let's do this. So she walks me off of my mat, and this is all in my mind, walks me off of my mat and takes me to this hanging bridge. It's a bridge between this enormous valley. It's basically two cliff sides, very rickety hanging bridge, drawbridge, and there's fog underneath. It looks like a horror movie. And I'm like, we're going across that? That's what we're going across? And she's like, yes, follow me. So I trust her. We walk across the bridge. I enter this incredible fog. I couldn't see in front of me. I didn't know which way to go, but I just trusted the situation and I kept walking. And finally, I make it out to the other side of the fog, and it's this beautiful, clear day. There are these pine trees. It looks kind of like Oregon. Huge, tall pine trees. And I look around and realize she was trying to tell me, you're on the other side. You've made it through the fog. This is why you're here, and now it's time to play. And right as I had that realization... I turned into a wolf, which is a spirit animal that I see in so many meditations. They're always with me. So this wolf just takes off and starts running down this path. And there's all these forks in the road. And which direction do I go? And I remember starting to doubt myself. I don't know which path to take. I'm not the one to make these decisions. And after that thought, I morphed into a snake, which snakes, again, all up in my visions. The snake climbs and circles a tree. At the top of the tree, turns into a bird. Now, these are also very common imageries in Peru. They talk about the snake, the puma, and now I forgot the type of bird, but it's a very specific type of bird. So I think that was also its way of telling me that the medicine was there working and doing its thing. So I'm a bird, and now as I'm flying over the trees... I realize that this is my higher self and I'm watching the wolf run below me. And the wolf knows exactly where to go. It's, it sees the path and it knows which one to take. And I realized the medicine was trying to tell me, you know exactly where to go. You just have to trust yourself. Right when that clicked, I was back into the consciousness of the wolf running full speed down these paths. Now, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running, and then I look over next to me and I notice another wolf and I realized, oh, that's my mate, that's my person. And I got so excited because this is something that I've wanted for so long is someone to spend my life with, someone who understands me, someone who is my partner in crime, who, who can support me and I can have a family with. So I'm feeling supported, we're running together, and then I look behind me and I see little wolf pups. And I got even more choked up. I'm like, oh, those are my kids and they're running with us. And we keep going and we finally reach this clearing that looks kind of like the, the rock from Lion King. 
the overhang rock, looks over the valley, this incredibly beautiful view. And as I'm looking out over there, we sit down and we enjoy it as a family. And that symbolism clicks. Oh, I don't have to be at the top of my game, top of my career before I have a family because that's something that I had been battling with for so long. Like, do I have to be completely settled in? Do I have to have reached all my goals and my dreams before I even think about getting married and having kids? And the answer was no. You can do that while you have a family. (sighs) Breath of relief, sigh of relief. And so then I think, okay, that was like my love question. She's answering them so quickly. Uh, Okay, what about career? What about, um, how, how can I use my talents to help people? And she said, you're going to write a book. And I said, I think you're crazy. And she said, no, you're going to write a book. And I was like, no, I don't think so. And she goes, yeah, you are. And then I was sucked into this visual of seeing this book called The Purple Eye. And immediately I was reminded of the ceremony, my first ceremony, where I saw the purple eye blink open, your intuition, your introspection, your inner knowing has been awakened. That's the name of your book. This is what it looks like. And she showed me basically visuals of it in bookstores. And I thought, this is insane. (laughs) I like to write, but I'm not an author. I'm not a writer. That's not my career path. And I just thought, okay, what else? She said, you're going to learn to paint. You need to paint your visions. I don't know how to paint. Well, you're going to figure it out. And and then I thought, okay, what else? What else? What are my other things? And I I visually (laughs) remembered what my journal looked like. And I'm looking at my journal page, like all the questions that I, I wanted to ask and all of my intentions for this ceremony. And the last one on the list was, I want to go to space. And she said to me, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I'm sure. I'm ready. And she goes, really? You really want to go to space? I was like, yes, I'm ready. And she goes, okay, well, it's going to hurt. And I said, that's fine. Let's do it. Immediately when I said yes, I was blasted off into space. I am backflipping through the cosmos, cosmos that I've never seen reference pictures of in all my life. I'm seeing planets that are bright pink and lime green and purple, and I'm ping-ponging between them, and the realities would collapse and I would be spit out somewhere else. This was not like the type of space movie that you've seen before, where they just like gently float through space. No, no. I was being catapulted around these planets. And the craziest part was I find myself dropped into this spaceship. And I'm looking around, it's this huge silver room, and I see it's pretty dark, and I see this alien standing in a podium. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. And he's stringing together what looks to be eyeballs. And I'm like, I'm definitely not supposed to be here. He's like tall, skinny, not wearing any clothes, Pretty typical what you'd think of when you think of alien, um, elongated head, head, big eyes. And he looks at me and I looked at him and I was like, <gasps> he saw me. <laughs> he saw me. I dropped out of there so fast. And thinking back now, I think, how funny would it be if that actually happened? And I was like the alien in that situation. And he was freaked out like, who's this chick popping into my existence? <laughs> I feel myself floating higher and higher and higher, and I, mother ayahuasca was right. It hurt. My stomach was in knots. It was just like twisting and turning and stabbing, and I'm just like, oh, this sucks, and I would open my eyes, but the light was too bright, so I would go back into my cocoon with my hands covering my eyes, and I was just right back in space. So it felt like I couldn't really get out of there. And so at one point, I feel these tiny little feet on my mat. And I'm like, who's coming onto my mat? Because that's a no-no when you're doing ayahuasca. You're not even supposed to touch other people because you don't want to interrupt their energy and their journey and what's going on with them. And I feel these little hands on my head. And it's um, <laughs> it's Maestra Justina 
who was the lead shaman, this little old lady. Um, she's, she's gotta be in her eighties or something. And she put her little hands on my head and she starts chanting and blowing smoke on me. And I'm like, Oh, she's, she's coming over, which was also very rare. Normally the shamans, at least in that retreat, they don't come over to you. You go over to them when it's time. So this was already very strange. She blows a smoke, brings me back down, and I feel she walks away. I feel my stomach, it's growling, it's turning, and I'm like, I'm going to throw up. My eyes dart open at the exact part where my purge bucket was. I grab it and immediately throw up. First time I had thrown up on ayahuasca, and this was my fifth ceremony, so I wasn't expecting it. It was a lot, and it was like, man, it was like purging my doubts and my fears and my emotions and my traumas. It was just getting it out. It felt good. Even though it wasn't enjoyable, it still felt good, you know? And the funniest part was... I had heard that people have experiences with their purge buckets because it is like an energetic release and some people say that they've seen faces in them and whatever. I thought that was crazy until I look down into my purge bucket and it is a galaxy. Guys, I'm still in space. My eyes are wide open. My purge bucket looks like a black hole and my my eyes were wide I remember spitting into it to see what would happen and it just disappeared. And I thought, oh my gosh, there is a galaxy in my hands right now. And they came to come get it because um, they didn't want the room to start smelling, which was great. And he goes, can I take your purge bucket? And I remember looking up at him going, yeah, enjoy my galaxy. I don't think I said that out loud, but in my head I was like, enjoy my galaxy, man. (laughs) Here you go. And of course I was nervous that the second he took it away, I was going to have to throw up again because my stomach was not happy. But more than the visuals and more than the visceral physical experience of it all, it was so cleansing and eye-opening and it made me believe in magic. And I know that sounds silly and people are probably going to say, well, the chemicals in your brain and this and that, cool, we can get logical about it or we can just enjoy the magic of it all. We can enjoy the fact that this beautiful earth that we are on has provided us with these tools to have these experiences, to let go of our egoic mind, to work through traumas, to purge things that no longer serve us. And that's a beautiful thing. And so that is why I wanted to talk about entheogens and psychedelics on my channel. My plan is to have on Michael Pollan and other experts in the field who can talk about the studies that are happening right now, the decriminalization of certain psychedelics like psilocybin mushrooms and the studies of, um, psych- not psychedelic studies, well, yeah, psychedelic studies, but um, psychological studies with patients who have PTSD and other traumas and depressions. These clinical trials are happening now and it's exciting and the world around psychedelics is changing. People are starting to realize that they're not as bad as the government conspiracy theories, and I'm just kidding, made us believe there really are some good things that we can learn from these ancient, ancient, ancient traditions, from our indigenous ancestors, from people all over the world who have been using these medicines, these plants, as healers for your mind, body, and soul. I think they have so much value, and I'm so excited to get into more of that with you because, as you know, when we talk about on this channel, there are a lot of program beliefs, um, there are a lot of religious traumas, and psychedelics really, at least for me, and I think a lot of other people, bridge that gap between learning who you are for the first time and these program beliefs. It helps you get rid of the noise. It helps you find yourself. It helps you get yourself out of your head enough to really understand who you are. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. Um, There's so much more to share about my ayahuasca journey, about um, other things I experienced on that retreat, other plant medicines, and I think I'm going to save those for another time. So if you got this far, that means you probably like my channel. Thank you for being here. 
these videos do take a long time to make, but I love doing it. So I really appreciate your support, your subscriptions, uh, your comments. I try to respond to as many of them as I can. I am starting a Patreon. I'll put the information below. I think I'm also going to start dabbling in the, the YouTube memberships, which is like Patreon, but directly on my YouTube channel. So watch out for that. Um, it would mean the world if you could support so I can get better guests and better equipment and do this more often. So again, thank you for watching. Until next time, follow your highest excitement, be conscious, and be well. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review or a comment to help with our visibility. You can also find me on social media at Colts2Consciousness or reach out by email at Colts2Consciousness at gmail.com.